Last week we looked at reverent fear in the first part of Hebrews 11, and through the rest of Hebrews 11, I know what you may be thinking, Brian, that's a lot of passage to cover today. I get you. Um, but our message today is our enduring hope for the resurrection. So we're looking at verses 17 through 40. And guys, as, as we read this, as we just put our full attention on the reading of the Word, and, and I do believe I could just sit there and listen to Brother Charlie read Scripture all day. How about you? I mean, it's just amazing just to hear the Word of God go forth. And, but there's something about it when we're reading about these people we go, that's really an unfair comparison. If, if we're receiving this as encouragement, and then all of a sudden we begin to talk about Abraham and Moses and what they encountered, and then the unnamed that continue to go on, but so many that he didn't have time to put their names in there, and it wasn't about their names to begin with, but we kind of look at it and go, man, that's an unfair comparison. It's kind of like Carl coming up here with this cool accent, and then you got to listen to me, right? Sorry about that, guys. And Carl, you did a great job. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you and how God is using you there in South Africa. But, you know, we look at these men and women, and we go, I don't, I'm not even close to their faith. But I want this to be an encouragement to you because far too often I think we get to Hebrews 11 and we, we put them in a different category. And really there, there should not be separate categories of Christians. Those who are redeemed in Christ and we all exalt Christ. And, and that's what's happening here. Truly it's God getting the glory. And as we break this down, we're going to see that. But it's really not an unfair comparison. It's, it's for our encouragement that if they can do this, that if they can have this faith, this grace given to them by God and put their trust in God and follow what he says and trust in his word, we too can follow in the same manner and God do great things through us. And as we look at this today, I want us to focus on the resurrection. Because I'm going to say up front here, I don't think we would be reading about these people. I don't think we would have a Hebrews 11 without the resurrection. If there's no hope that there's life after death, would we really see these people follow through with such great faith? I believe we wouldn't. And I believe we wouldn't be here today if there was no hope for a resurrection. Because if there was no hope for a resurrection, then all of life, all that we have to look forward to, everything there is to life is just present. It's here and now. And that's very depressing. But some of you are living your life like that. I mean, you're living as if everything is here on earth. It's all about here. And you're not even concerned about a resurrection. And that's scary. Because what awaits you is separation from God for all of eternity in an eternal lake of fire. That's what Scripture tells us. But also, the way you live your life doesn't make sense. It's probably very confusing. You're probably, uh, it's probably easy to get down and out. And maybe you even look to God and think God's unfair in the way he does things. But when you have a right view of the resurrection, as these people did, you'll do whatever God says. You trust him. And so look with me again in verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham was tested, and he was tested by God. He wasn't tested by Satan. He was tested by God. 
And it was a true test of belief in God's word. That was the ultimate test. Abraham, do you believe my word? Because God had already spoken to him and he said, Isaac shall be the offspring and from him shall your offspring come. Like Isaac plays an important role. You take Isaac out, there's a big gap here. And then God has done something, some uh, cruel game with Abraham. But no, he trusts him at his word. And that's all he really had to go on. Because up until this point, you're not reading about a lot of fathers who are giving their sons on the altar, expecting them to rise up from the dead. That's just not happening. In fact, you're not seeing any resurrections take place. And so he has to have faith in knowing that through God's word, he spoke life into existence. Let there be light. And then he created man. He breathed life into man. So through God's word, there's life. Through God's word, he sustains life. And the reason we go day to day is because of God's word. And why would it not be that through God's word that he can raise life up from the dead? This is the faith that Abraham possesses as he's giving his son on the altar. He wasn't expecting God to come in at the last second and say, whoa, 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 stop. No, he was ready to sacrifice his son because he fully trusted that God would raise him up from the dead. And this was a true test, not of how much you know of God's word, but how much are you willing to follow. It's not how many verses do we know. It's not how much of the Old Testament have we read compared to the New Testament. How many times have we read through the Bible? If you've read through the Bible, that's awesome. I mean, that's good. That is to your benefit in growing in Christ. Wonderful thing. But we're not talking about an accumulation of Scripture here of how much you know, but how much are you willing to follow God's word? How far are you willing to go? When God says his truth, when he says that it is Isaac, are you willing to believe it even though he asks you to sacrifice him? And for Abraham in this moment, he's willing to believe it all. So how did Abraham respond to this test? Well, I would say he passed in flying colors to the glory of God. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. I've always loved the statement from good leaders, one of those being my dad says, I'll never ask you to do anything that I myself am not willing to do. I appreciate that. Because it's not someone who's possessed a position of authority, and then now that he has this authority, he's going to ask me to do the hard things that he himself would never dare do. He's not abusing his authority. And I remember many times my dad would say, son, I'm asking you to do this, but know that I too have done this before. Or... I would do the same thing. So I'm not asking you to do something that I myself wouldn't do. And in this picture here, God's not asking Abraham to do something that he himself would not do and that he himself ultimately did not do. I mean, he gave his son on the cross. So when we look at Abraham and Isaac, it was an actual, real deal event. I mean, it happened. It was, it was, it was real. It's just hard for Abraham. I don't think he did this with a smile. But it's also a foreshadowing of God fulfilling his sovereign plan. God knowing that he would raise his son from the dead. And he did. And so we see Abraham commended for this type of faith. God's working in all of this. And then we see that by faith, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph all looked forward. They were looking forward. All of them looking forward to a resurrection. 
And then in verse 23, we read of Moses. And we've talked a good bit about Moses through Scripture. But verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I think if you would just highlight this, 23 through 27, and just really meditate on this passage here of just faith, and God. That, that is what we see right here. Faith in God. Moses was spared. He was set apart from death. And we, we see that. I mean, his parents looked at him and said, he, he's beautiful. I often wonder what they'd done if they said he's ugly. Would they still spare him? Yeah, it's not the point. He's beautiful. I mean, what parents can look at their kid and say he's not beautiful to begin with, right? But I think what we're seeing here is there's something special about this child. And that he's set apart, that he's placed in the river, and then they walk away. And they trust God. His, his parents trust the Lord. So that can't be Moses having faith as a baby. That, that's a reflection upon his parents. But then as you continue on, we see that as he grew, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that had a lot of perks with it. To live in the palace, to be rubbing elbows with Pharaoh your whole life, knowing that you, you should be a slave, but no, you're with the rich. You're having parties all the time. You have pleasure after pleasure presented to you. I mean, we don't, we don't read, we don't hear much of this life of Moses when, he, when he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But if we recognize what Scripture tells us, the pleasures of sin, we can go ahead and take this license to say that he probably lived a pretty simple life in that palace. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted to with the authority that he had. But choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, what leads someone to walk away from all of those riches? is somebody who's focused on the resurrection. Faith is not just an idea. It's not... It's not my team's on the 50-yard line, and, and there's three seconds left. And let me step back, and let me just throw a pass into the end zone. Hey, man, as you go out, I'm looking for you. You make sure you catch this pass, and then you throw it up, and you hope that he comes down with it at the end. That's not the faith we're talking about. This is the faith that when he leaves the palace, he fully trusts God. Now, he may not fully trust in his own strengths because he's saying, hey, God, I can't speak. I mean, I'm not a good speaker. You need to get somebody else to speak. And he says, okay, I'll take Aaron. You need to trust us, my power, not you. There were times when Moses just needed to get over himself. Moses had pity parties. Yes, he did. He wasn't perfect, but he had this faith in God. We just see God working in Moses, setting Moses apart. And in this passage, we see that faith is letting go of fleeting pleasures and laying hold of the eternal wealth found in Christ. It's letting go of the pleasures of Egypt and taking pleasure in God. It's leaving the comfort of the daughter of Pharaoh and taking comfort in the Son of God. This is the transformation that we see in Moses, similar to the transformation that happens in our lives as we look to him, as he is our reward. Moses was looking to the reward. He was looking for a resurrection from Egypt, 
which happened. Also, resurrection from the dead in Christ Jesus. And we'll look a little bit further into this, how Jesus is in the Old Testament, how Moses was looking to Christ. And by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he was able to see the invisible. He was able to see the work of God. How is that possible? How is Moses so special? He trusted God at his word. And that's the faith that we see here today. Moses feared a greater king. He wasn't fearful what Pharaoh would do to him. In fact, he would go stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. Say, let my people go. Pharaoh would continue to be stubborn. And there ultimately came a time when God destroyed everything in Pharaoh's power. And at that point, in his heart, he said, let him go. And Moses led the people out. And as the story goes, let it be a, a picture for us that when Pharaoh changes his mind, I mean, his heart was always in a hard state. But when they go to capture the Israelites as they're headed through the waters, notice that God parts the waters for his chosen, but he allows the waters to come crashing down on those who are not his. And that's a picture for us that man cannot attempt to get through to God on his own. You must trust fully in God and his word. And that's the picture that we see here in this passage. So then we continue to read on because it's not just Abraham and Moses, and we mention them a lot, but many other people. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Listen, listen to this resume, because if we say let's have faith, I want to be on this part of the resume, to be honest with you. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Stop right there. All right, go no further. If we stop right there, we're saying, yes, I have faith in God. Man, you make me a conqueror like that. I'll put my faith in God. But it doesn't end there, does it? Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. I mean, you take wood and you saw it in two. A human being? Why? Because they had faith in God's word? They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Should we feel pity for them? Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Talking about here on earth. Not that God failed them. That's not the picture we see. 
Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Do you see the us coming in here all together? He's saying, look, don't just put them on a pedestal. We all come underneath Christ. And so with this resume, we see that there were victors. There were people who chased out mighty armies because God said, go and do it. And yet we see that others were sawn in two because they would not reject God's word. They had to be looking forward to a resurrection because they were able to let go of their life here knowing that there was a far better life before them. This changes how you live. This is where our faith comes into play. Many times when we lack faith, it's because we're not looking forward to the resurrection. We're not believing there's better life. We think that everything is here. So, our enduring hope for the resurrection, if if, if we want to be in this group to endure until the end and this hope for a resurrection, there's three things I want us to just notice here. One, don't be consumed with the world's opinions of you. Don't be consumed with the world's opinions of you because they weren't concerned. They laid that aside because they understood that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Philippians 2, 10 and through 11. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So they're able to look at their persecutor. They're able to look at the ways of the world and they're going, one day every knee shall bow and confess that he is Lord. No, that's not a passage that we take and say, oh good, then love wins, everybody's safe. No. It's just recognizing who is God. One day it will happen. Today you may reject that he is Lord. One day you will not. So here we see in this passage that we're not to be consumed with the world's opinions of ourselves. Instead, be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Worthy of the kingdom of God. How can we be worthy of the kingdom of God? 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-8 is, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. So you're suffering for the kingdom of God because you're worthy of the kingdom of God. Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Our hearts should break that those who persecute us have vengeance coming their way. And God is not going to withhold his vengeance to those who do not obey the gospel. He will unleash it towards them. This needs to be in our minds when we look at the world and say, but if I step out and I put faith in Christ, what are the people around me going to say? What are they going to do? Or when we look at the worldly pleasures and we say, you know what, this is just too good. I mean, i got to still hold on to a little bit of this or I'm not going to be happy. But understand that God's vengeance is coming. And we cannot be caught up with being counted worthy in the eyes of the world 
but that we would be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And how is this possible? It's all because of Jesus. It is only because of Jesus that you are worthy of the kingdom of God. Does that not humble you to your core? To know that the only way that you can approach God in prayer is because of Jesus. We don't have to worry about self-righteous praying when we come underneath the righteousness of Christ. We don't have to worry about going and sounding arrogant when we share the gospel as if we have attained some good work that others have not when we go in the work of Christ. It humbles us to our core, and we are able to speak with this humility and love. And if we're rejected for it, we're rejected for it. If it's received, glory be to God. Either way, glory be to God. We are focused on a resurrection. It changes how we pray. It changes how we live our lives, how we read the Word, how we lead our families. As we humbly admit that before God, it is only because of Christ that we can be counted worthy of the kingdom. Romans 8, 37-39, here's, here's our hope too, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what trial you face, nothing is going to separate you from God's love. What does separate you from God's love are those who are in sin. Right now, you're not following Jesus. And you think, oh, God is love, and God's just going to take care of me because God is love. No, you're separated due to your sin. But when you come under Christ, when you quit trusting in yourself, and you die to yourself, understanding that you fall miserably short, like all of us in this room, and you trust fully in Christ, there you are brought together in the love of God, and you will never be separated from Him again. I love the songs we sang today, and I love the good old faithful, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. I often sing that. I sing that over my boys. And He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. I mean, we need Christ reigning in us as we go through each day. Let us not kid ourselves. Living a life of faith is extremely difficult. That's why we need all of Christ. The second thing is that we must look past our current circumstances. And we see this with Moses. We see this with Abraham. All those who were mentioned before, they were able to look past the moment, the current circumstances. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then what is left for you? Can you answer that question? If you don't believe in a resurrection that this old body right here will be put to death and that there will be raised up a new body before God. Glorious. Without sin. Pure. Accepted before God. If you don't believe that, then what other hope is there? What other reason for living is there? What is left for you? What do you have in your possession that you would say this is worth it? To where you can't lay all of that down to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, trusting in a resurrection. Like Abraham, we see past the moment. We believe in the future resurrection. If he got caught up in that moment right there, if he didn't believe that his son could be raised from the dead, 
I fully believe that He would not give His Son. But He believes in a resurrection. And many times we've, we've said this and we miss the point. We'd say, I would never give my Son. But Abraham says, I would. I would. If Abraham were here today, he'd say, I would. And we'd look at him and go, oh, you self-righteous Abraham. Look at you. Right? No, he said, I would, because I believe in the resurrection. So I would never do that. I just, I just couldn't do that. If God asked me to do that, I couldn't do that. Look, I don't want to be put in that situation. I don't think we have to be put in that situation because Christ gave his son and Christ is risen. But it's because Abraham believed in the resurrection that he could look past that moment and follow through with obedience. Are you willing to look past your current circumstances, whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're going through, and you know that there's a resurrection to come? And it's not that you just detach yourself from the world and don't care what happens. No. You care. You care what happens. You're involved. You should be even more so with understanding this news. But you know that nothing will separate you from God and nothing will keep you from Following him. This faith. And then number three, you remember God's word is the only plan worth following. For Moses, living in the pleasures of sin was not a desirable option. Really, we don't know how desirable it was. At what point when he walked away did he still crave his old life? Sure, if it's anything like us, he had cravings every day. There were days probably as, as soon as he walked away that he thought, man, am I sure... I know what I'm doing. I mean, I had everything I needed in that kingdom. Everything provided for me, and it was good. I mean, it was empty. I mean, my heart empty with that, those pleasures, but it was fun. He refused his worldly status and accepted the consequences. The consequences? Mistreatment with his people. He chose mistreatment over riches. Verse 26 and he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There's Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. But we see right here that Moses had his eyes on Christ. We're going, whoa, we, we didn't read that back in Exodus. I didn't see that when he was leaving. No, no, no. We, we didn't even see the name of Christ there. Where was he? How did we miss him? All along, Moses is looking forward to what God is providing. And the only plan, the only option is Jesus. So how could he put his trust in anyone else? This was before, way before Philippians 1.21 was ever inspired and then written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or Philippians 3.8, indeed I count everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, just filth, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. This was the heart of Moses, and this is the heart of the believer. If you're here today, this is your heart, follower of Christ. So, what does the reproach of Christ provide that the pleasures of Egypt cannot? A reward is far greater. Moses knew this. Do you know this? Do you believe this? Or do you think that all of your rewards that you're receiving right now for the way you're living your life is so much better than the reward that is looking to Christ? 
who took on our punishment, our shame. He suffered. My hope is fully in Christ. I know that every last one of my sins that I have committed, that I've committed today, will commit today, and will commit tomorrow until the time when Christ returns or when I die and the resurrection happens, has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That changes the way I live my life. Does that change the way you live your life? I have a full hope in the resurrection. Do you have a full hope in the resurrection? They had a full hope in the resurrection. The reality, the reality is that Christ is returning. A false reality is ignoring this truth. Plugging your ears and saying, I don't want to hear it. You can leave here today and you can be quick to get on fantasy football, but let just the first part of that tell you what it is. Fantasy. Say, oh no, you did not just bust on fantasy football. Well, I spend all my Sunday on that. It's all right, man. It's a fun hobby. I just can't keep up with NFL football. My wife wouldn't have it. I mean, I can only follow college ball, but... But, you know, we can, we can go and, and we can put it... Look, you can check out right now. You can check out right now. You can go read any book you want to on fairy tales. On Katniss and hoping that they're going to continue that series. And think, oh man, this is great. I'm, I'm just going to become a big fan. And you're just ignoring the reality of the resurrection. Christ is coming. He has not forgotten. He's waiting on God's Word. When His Father says, go, and He will follow His Word, He has always followed the Father's command. He's coming. And we have this assurance. You know, October 21st, 2015 was a fun day. Back to the Future Day. I don't know how many of you celebrated it, but we celebrated it in the Anderson household. Um, I don't know if I talked about this on a Wednesday night or a Sunday, but we, we did. and We started off by playing Back to the Future Part 2 that morning before we left. and It was just funny to watch because I mean, there's just a few things that never panned out. One, there was never a Jaws after Jaws the Revenge. You know? Um, why would there even be a Jaws after Jaws Revenge? Because it's a mechanical shark. And I just feel bad for those of you who were actually in the theaters when those movies came out and you were scared of a mechanical shark, okay? It's fake, but... There's no Jaws 17 or whatever. I was really disappointed because the Cubs didn't win the World Series. I mean, I thought, if Back to the Future says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it was close. Um, and then most... Depressing is the hoverboard, but uh, we won't talk about that. Um, but in the movie, when he goes to the future, he picks up this almanac from 1950 to 2000. And then he pockets it, takes it, or I can't remember which one takes it back. I think it's Biff. Takes it back in time, and it changes all of history. Because he knows what's going to happen for 50 years. And he hedges all of his bets on those comes a rich man. Everything changes. And I'm not saying that 
we treat God's word that it works out for our benefit in every way that we see it, but it does work out for our good when we understand that our good is to glorify God in all things and we can trust God in his word. But we have this manual that changes our life. We're, we're never the same once we get into the word of God. Once that word penetrates our hearts, we're never the same people. And we need it daily. And you're only as good as your word. That's something else my dad would always say to me, son, you're only as good as your word. But your word means something. God's word means something. It doesn't go back on his word. And as we said, in the rea- it is the reality that God created the world with his word. Are you hearing that? That's reality. God spoke the world into existence. And then it's also reality that the word that was there at creation, the word became flesh. He took on flesh. This right here took on flesh and lived here on this earth. And it was by the word that Christ went to the cross. It was by the word that Christ was raised from the dead. It's by his word that Christ will return. We trust in his word. There's no other plan but what God's word lays out. So if we become overly concerned with relating to the world, then we fail to relay the word of God to a dying world. Meaning that if we're called up and, and how do we relate to the world, let's, let's sugarcoat or let's water down or let's just hide it all together and try to do some goodness to the world to reach them and then later we'll get the Bible in there. No, we're failing to relay the truth. That is the only point. And those that we see in Hebrews 11 were willing to die for this. Because we know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do not abuse this text by leaving here and not being friends with people who are lost in their sins. They need you. We need to connect with them. But we need to share with them God's plan, God's word. But when we consider it more favorable and more of our benefit to befriend the world, the ways of the world, we're not just talking about people. We're talking about the worldly system of sin. If we become friends with the world, we become enemies with God. So what does that mean? If you're friends with God, how will the world treat you? So if you're friends with the world, you're enemies with God. But if you're friends with God, enemies of the world. It should not surprise you for what you will face for following Jesus. That's okay because we look forward to the resurrection. We hold fully to his word. So, in closing... If we have an enduring hope for the resurrection, we will not be concerned or consumed with the world's opinions of us. Instead, we look to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God through Christ and Christ alone. We're able able to look past our circumstances. So what does that mean in your life? Looking past your circumstances right now? Looking to Christ? And then remembering God's word is the only path worth following? It is the only path. See, there's, we could really spend six months in what we just talked about. 
if we dissect these folks even longer. But here's the question I have for you today. Do you have an enduring hope for the resurrection? I mean, is that your hope? Has that changed your life, the way you live? Changed the way you relate to your family, lead your family, men, the way you lead your family, wives, the way you submit to your husbands, even when they're not so lovely, the way you lead your kids, when they're not so lovely, the way we go to work each day, the confidence that we have, the way we relate to people, your trustworthiness with people, all of that, everything. Are you holding to God's word? Are you able to see your present circumstance and look past it and go, there's a resurrection coming. So right now, when I see that coming, I know that that's coming. That's a reality. Here's the decision I'm going to make, and it is to glorify God no matter what it costs. Today, maybe you're dead in your sin. You have no relationship with God, and you're hearing this message. And man, your heart is warming up to this, and you're going, this is good, this is good. How do I follow Jesus? You recognize where you are. You're in sin. You're separated from God. And the only way to be considered worthy, counted worthy, is to look to Jesus. Do you trust in what he's done? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, we hold to your word. We hold your word in our hands. Consider it a great privilege to be able to preach your word. It is clear that as you speak your word, that there is no other option, no other hope in this life, but to look forward to a resurrection with Christ, to be brought before you in splendor. And Father, I pray for those in this room right now that are lost in their sins. God, that you would do a great work in their hearts. They would place full faith and trust in your word. God, work among the church that what we've heard today would be an encouragement for us that We don't consider Hebrews 11 an unfair comparison, but that we would be grateful to be considered in such company because of what Christ has done for us. And while we're here on this earth, may we do all that you set out before us. May that be our desire, our goal every day, to follow you fully. Lord, we thank you. Continue to work in this time in Jesus' name. Amen.